Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this last Friday of August. My goodness, we are coming into September. It is now August 30th, 2019. We are just months away. This is for you, Alan Nelson. We are just months away from Christmas. So hopefully that will now make Alan Nelson happy because... That man cannot get on Twitter or Facebook without putting up how many days are left to Christmas. He is obsessed. So we are. Was, did, <laughs> was I mistaken, or did he not post a picture sometime this week of a little small Christmas tree in his office? As I said, the man is obsessed. <laughs> so, I mean, he was he was posting. If you guys remember, uh, by the way, welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. We've already started our weird banter moment. Uh, <laughs> Alan Nelson was one of our guests when he came on and uh, talked about his two books, uh, From Death to Life and Before the Throne. If you guys didn't listen to that, stop, go back, listen to it, because you really need to read those books. I just finished From Before the Throne. Excellent book. Give it. I give it five stars. Go check it out. Um, but... He, um, the man is obsessed with Christmas. I mean, he was talking about it in June. In June, he was giving us a countdown to the days of Christmas. Alan, get help. <laughs> okay. You, you need help. But now, but now we're going into September, which means fall is around the corner. And he's not going to be worried about, uh, you know, uh, Halloween coming up, which is going to be a whole nother show to talk about. And, or, uh, uh, you know, talking about Thanksgiving. The man is going to go crazy. Because we're now into the latter part of the year. So, Alan, get help. Um, so, But this is our last Friday of the month of August. Rich, I don't believe this. We are zooming through the, the year at breakneck pace. I don't know how we got this far. And as fast and as furious as things are moving... No, it's not a copyright. Don't worry about the movies. As fast and as furious as this year is moving, things are even gotten crazier for you this last week because I think I heard a little birdie tell me that there's a new family member in in the in oh. the story household. <laughs> it, it it has been a been an interesting week. Um, you know, as you said, we didn't we didn't have a live show last week. We had to do a rerun partly. Well, most mostly because of my back issues, but part of it was waiting to see when my new granddaughter was going to arrive. But, um, (laughs) last Saturday, my niece had her baby. And then this past Tuesday, my daughter had her second daughter. So we have a new (laughs) granddaughter in the family. Um, she was born extremely healthy. She was a little over eight pounds and somewhere around 19 inches. And she's, I'm sure she's going to be a blessing to have and to hold and to snuggle over the years. <laughs> and I was blessed to be able to keep my oldest granddaughter. She stayed with me and my wife some off and on this week during the course of all this. But I did learn one thing. I have gotten way too old to have a toddler sleep between me and my <laughs> wife. That that is for young married couples. I'm way too old and too crippled to have a toddler that likes to kick and punch in her sleep, <laughs> snuggled up to Papa. Oh, it's it's like it's like trying to snuggle up to a uh, a wired up octopus on on uh, on, a, on an energy drink. <laughs> but it was uh, there were several several cute moments when. I'd look over and she was snuggled up to her grandma 
yes, I called my wife grandma. She is a grandma. <laughs> For Aubrey, that is that is her ninety. And and other than her mom and daddy, I think ninety is her next favorite person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, she'd have to be. I mean, come on, everybody likes Zan. Zan is like the best. You know, we just. You know, most people like you just to get to, to get to know Zan. I think that's what it really is. So, <laughs> I would not doubt that. I, I have a feeling that I have a lot of friends on Facebook, and they're only friends with me because of my wife. <laughs> oh, brother! Well, congratulations! Absolutely, congratulations to the newest addition to the Story household. Um, thrilled to hear that she was. You know, such a, a a healthy and and good sized child. I mean, I, my boys were about that eight pound, uh, uh, you know, size when they were born. And mind you, my wife is four foot nine, so she carried them really forward because there was nowhere else to go. Um, but but you know, so but yeah, that's a healthy weight. That's that's wonderful. So uh, look forward to seeing more and more pictures. Already seen some uh, just adorable pictures of this little child and. Uh, you know, we, we lift up your daughter and her uh, husband and the family in prayers. Folks, be praying for the Story family. If you know anything about having a new child in the home, either your child or a grandchild, you know there is a lot that goes with that, and this happened this week. So uh, be definitely praying for that family, and uh, we are just so grateful to hear uh, that everything has gone well with that. So... Um, just oh, speaking of prayers, folks, uh, as we are recording this program, it is now uh, 7.30 in the evening Pacific time. When I last looked at Twitter, uh, there was a note that the Hurricane Dorian off the Florida coast, 400 miles off the Florida coast, had already accelerated to a Category 4 hurricane. That's That's pretty powerful, and if it continues... On the original path that they thought it was headed for, which would actually put it hitting Florida, I mean, if it continues to gain speed, you're talking possible Category 5. But Rich brought up to my attention, and I did find it, there seems to be that the path may track up along the coast, not necessarily making landfall, which means getting hit with the edge of it, which is, even if it gets more powerful, is certainly not as bad as getting hit dead on with it. So be praying for the people in Florida. Be praying for our brethren there. Uh, we know there are a lot of folks that uh, you know that we are associated with either because you listen to the show or you know us on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we want you to be praying for the brethren out there. Please uh, be praying that the Lord redirects the path of that, especially if it is going to, in fact, gain steam. Uh, you really don't want to be in the midst of a Category 4, Category 5 hurricane. Those are very powerful winds, very destructive. So be praying for the people in Florida, praying for god and his sovereignty to redirect the path of that and if you are one of those people who think that you know there are those name it and claim it blab it and grab it uh charlatans on tbn who actually can do things like control weather then why don't you go tell them to redirect it and see what happens um because i don't see them out there doing anything about it you know it's a great storytelling for raising money but those guys uh crooked little charlatans and the fact that these kind of things can happen and we can't do anything about it safe be praying for god's sovereign power um tells you just how ridiculous that uh that whole uh word faith nonsense really is and if you don't buy that please do me a favor um, i'm reading now Costi hin's book uh on uh defining deception 
excellent book. I'm a, I, I started it, I think, yesterday, and I'm already a third of the way into the book. Wonderful book. Uh, it really does a great job exposing the uh, the charlatan uh, charlatanry of the NAR movement. And I'm looking forward to his second book that he just released not long ago. Um, hoping to pick that up here in the near future. But, folks, the, the fact that we have this kind of stuff happening and those guys do nothing, absolutely nothing, can, uh, based on what they claim they can do, that tells you this is it's all pure hooey. That's what I said, hooey. So just you know, reject that kind of false theology and, and trust in the Lord. But yes, most definitely be praying for the people in Florida. So, okay, Rich. So aside from the fact that we need to just be celebrating massively for this wonderful new child in the world um, and and the fact that we need to pray for you because you seem to be falling apart again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is there any, anything else you want to talk about before we dive into tonight's show? Well, I'm doing a little bit better. My wife got me a new can of WD-40, some bailing <laughs> wire, and some duct tape. So I'll, I'll keep myself patched together. So maybe I'll make it through tonight's episode. <laughs> well, that's what we that's what we, all we can hope for. Hold you together with spit and bailing wire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, tonight I, I wanted to share something with you that, I don't know, maybe it seems obvious if you're a listener of this program, but... I saw this article, and it's an opinion article, and it's written by a teen. But the reason that this is important is because it was in USA Today, which means an opinion contributor on USA Today who wrote this on August 18th of this year, is she's going to get a lot of coverage. So it's, it's important for two reasons. Number one, uh, this is the probably what USA Today thinks teens believe and they're willing to put this out there so that people will uh, cater to what teens believe when it comes to the church. And here's the other thing. If this is hitting USA Today and it's making the rounds, that means church leadership is reading this article. And that can impact how they perceive what they should do when it comes to teens. So I, I really... Really thought this was an interesting article. I sent this to Rich, and uh, you know we put some stuff together, and I, we wanted to go over this tonight because I want you to to think about what she says what churches should do versus what is the church and what has God said about the church. So that's our our intention tonight, uh, and we're going to share this article in the show links. But the article is an opinion piece in USA Today. As I said, it was written. On uh, August, uh, published on August 18th, 2019, it was written by an, the opinion contributor Stasia Datskovska. I really hope I didn't mangle her name. And I, there, I'm going to say some things with regard to Miss Datskovska that most people might consider. Well, in this day and age, they'll call me judgmental and mean. I and I, it, not what I'm trying to do here, but I, I'm, I'm going to pick this apart. Okay, and her the title of her article is. Churches could win t uh, win back teens like me if they were more welcoming and less judgmental. Now, Rich, that's kind of been the, the battle cry of the whole church growth movement, right? I mean, oh, we're being too judgmental. Uh, doctrine divides. You know, we need to stop talking about all these difficult things because it drives people away. So she's really not saying anything different. I would, I, you know, I think we would agree with that, right? Oh, absolutely. And that, that could... If we had to put a label on this year when it comes to the world and religion and Christianity, that may be the 
headline would be you're too judgmental because it seems like every time we've turned around this year, there's been a different issue facing the church, whether it be, you know, racism, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, feminism, all of these other issues. And it all comes back to if you don't agree with them, you're being judgmental. Exactly. And sadly, I don't want to get too far ahead, but sadly, this article is a huge example of it's not just, you know, a certain generation that, you know, this is affecting all of this other that's going out is affecting the way that the young generation today is viewing the church and is viewing what church should be instead of viewing what God says it is. Exactly. And that really is the problem. So I'm going to start, I want to read these, these first couple paragraphs because it really does set the thesis for Ms. Dotskowska's uh, whole point. And then we're going to go through some, issue, uh, some issues with the article. So we're going to start with what she says here. Um, the, the, the subtitle or sub-sentence, whatever you want to call it in this article, says church should offer more open-ended resources such as meditation, discussion groups, and even nature walks. Let te- teens come to God in their own way, which is actually a quote from later in the article. So Ms. Statskowska starts with, When I entered the musty church, hmm, already painting a picture, musty church hall for the Easter Mass, and dipped my fingers in the holy water. Now, mind you, she if you know anything about religion, you, you already recognize she's talking, this is from a Catholic perspective. I noticed an approaching woman boasting a self-important demeanor. Ms. Statskowska is already talking about being less judgmental in her title, and yet she has she is dripping with judgmentalism. I hope you see that. Uh, She promptly came up to my mom and started to shame her for wearing pants, gesturing aggressively to her own ankle-length skirt and Soviet heiress headscarf. This is God's house, she said, as though it were an engrossing new revelation. I suddenly understood why so many of my friends were making promises to leave their respective dominations. Denominations, excuse me. Like I did that day at, at church, they felt they likely felt alienated from attending a service that is st- is supposed to instill hope. From the standpoint of teens like me, many Christian denominations are too deeply rooted in tradition. That's important. She's using this particular incident to de- define that the church is rooted in tradition. We're going to talk about this. Whatever this tradition comes dressed as, we find it a turnoff. Because of this, church should offer more open-ended resources to teens, such as meditation, discussion groups, and even nature walks. In other words, the Christian church experience needs to start transcending the traditional and adapting to the times. There's a phrase we've heard before. Only then can teens start finding can teens start finding meaning in church beyond traditional mass and realizing they can come to God in their own way without indoctrination or an intermediary. Those are important statements. Rich, the first thing I notice is that she uses a personal experience regarding how her mother was treated about the clothing choice she had. Now, we, we've we talked about throughout the three years we've done this, there are differences between... Uh, what the Bible actually teaches, the pre, uh, the principles and precepts that are drawn from that, and then church traditions that have developed because of denominations, because of ecclesiology type things, and uh, you know the the rules and, and and mindsets that you have. There there are some things that are human added, 
and there are some things that we recognize that maybe they are not excuse me i can't talk all of a sudden specifically <laughs> specifically written as do this don't do that in scripture but we can draw from what scripture teaches on issues and we can draw logical conclusions about how we should act but she immediately goes to what would be obvious to anyone that you know because of a clothing style issue and there are churches that feel this way. I mean, you go to uh, like a independent fundamentalist Baptist church, and I'm not trying to pick on IFB at the moment, but they, they have very specific thinking about how men and women should dress. Women are not to wear pants, but men uh, are to wear pants. So here in this Catholic church, you have an, uh, an older lady who is still holding to that thinking. And so she berates this her mother. Okay, admittedly, probably not the best way to have handled that. And she then equates that to church traditions. And she then talks about how the, the, she kind of puts everything under this broad umbrella of tradition. And that's when she starts arguing that the traditions must change. Are you seeing that? Oh, absolutely. My, um, my first thought, I'm, I'm still trying to decipher what type of denomination it is of that, of the church that she was attending because a lot of the, Catholic areas in where I live and ones that I know that are Catholic don't adhere to the, you know, the headscarf mm -hmm. dress type thing. But it, we know from her discussing mass and holy water, it's some Catholic or Anglican or some type of form in there. I'm just, I would be curious to know exactly what type of denomination it is with, with just based on the first points of the of that article which i know is not the substance of it but it just if if we could know what denomination it kind of would help unravel some of what this young lady has written about but you know just on on the surface with her her deans on quote unquote tradition you know uh, that's one of the that's actually one of the other things we've seen come up this year in discussions in, in all these different areas is that, well, it's just traditional that your church doesn't allow same-sex marriage, mm -hmm. or it's just traditional, you know, the Bible doesn't specifically say this, this, or this. Right. And it ultimately just comes down to ignorance of what the Bible actually teaches. Well, and I think we can lay a lot of that to Ms. Tatskovska's understanding of what the church is. I don't, I don't think she has a clue. And, and this is not me trying to be rude and, and, and say she's like she's a clueless person or something. She doesn't really understand the difference between uh, man-added uh, traditions and what she calls tradition, which is actually church doctrine. And she actually talks about that, that they, they don't want indoctrination. They don't want an intermediary. They want to come on there. She doesn't under she doesn't see a distinction. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact, and I believe it was John MacArthur that, uh, I'm going to mangle this quote, but he says something about to the effect that uh, most of the culture sees church or, or religion as a personal experience, not a divine revelation. In other words, it, as Ms. Dotskowska put looks at it, she says, church is about me coming to God in my way, and it's about instilling hope for me. And so she sees all these church, you know, all these church functions as these old traditions that are in the way of me coming to God the way I want to come. And that's why she says, this is stifling for us millennials. 
you're, you're putting all this on us and we don't feel comfortable with this. And so if you want us in the church, these traditions have to change. And like I said, she doesn't distinguish the difference between what is tradition, man-made, uh, which a man-made a tradition which may or may not have merit and what actual church doctrine uh, that we understand and know comes from God through the scriptures. So she's looking at all of the church uh, practice as tradition and that it needs to be updated, overwritten, uh, done away with, any whatever she wants in order to accommodate the millennial teen mindset. So that was well, that was the first thing I noticed about the article. What, what I noticed so far was the excessive use of I, us, and mm-hmm. me. That that is the first clue that she has absolutely no understanding of what church actually is or what church is about. Because I, me, and us is not supposed to be the center focal point of church. It's Christ and him crucified. Exactly. Let's go back to that the, the, the third paragraph where she talks about from the standpoints of teens like her. She says, from the t- standpoint of teens like me, many Christians—I said I'm doing it again. Many Christian. I'm, this is what my wife gets on me for. I ca- I talk too fast. I get excited and I and I sound like the dude from the Micro Machine commercials. And I just lost all our millennials. They have no idea what I'm talking about. All right. So from the standpoint of teens like me, many Christian denominations are too deeply rooted in tradition. Remember, she's not distinguishing what's what is tradition versus doctrine. Whatever this tradition, and she puts that in quotes, tradition comes dressed as, we find it a turnoff. Okay, so as soon as they identify it as something that's tradition in their mind, we don't want it. Because of this, church should offer more open-ended resources to teens. Okay, the church, you don't, you're doing stuff we don't like. You need to give us more of uh, more options that we like. And then she says, Basically, "Oh, go ahead." I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but right there, that what what I hear, we need to be entertained. We need, we need, we need, we need, we need this, 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 and this, and. Basically, they're wanting and needing, in their mind, any and everything except the God of the Bible. Well, and again, this is where her ignorance of what Christianity is, I think, is the problem. Because she says here, she wants meditation, discussion groups, even nature walks. In other words, the Christian church experience needs to start transcending the traditional and adapting to the times. All right, You want us around, you need to change with us. Only then can teens start finding meaning in the church beyond traditional mass and realizing they can come to God in their own way without indoctrination or an intermediary. Now, coming to God in your own way, uh, coming to God as you are, coming, uh, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. These are this is the language that we heard in the Easy Believism movement, and there are some there are some biblical precepts that these are drawn from, but then. They're completely, you know, uh, uh, bleached of any real religious meaning, any real doctrinal meaning, and then slapped onto a church bumper sticker, which, Rich, we still promised people we need to do another bumper sticker theology program. Um, and that's what she's she's growing this from. So she's saying, church is too stuffy. This doctrine, this this all these teachings that you say we have to do and how we approach God— no, you know, she she clear, it's very clear she doesn't view the church as having a mandate from God. To her, church is fulfilling fulfilling how she wants to approach God, and it's not about us submitting ourselves to God. So, 
the idea that church is exclusive, you know, the Christian church is exclusive about its approach to God, this is abhorrent. How dare you, you know, say there's this only this one prescribed way to come to Christ. Um, she, she wants teens to find their own meaning. Rich, that's a huge issue because Christianity is about not about us finding meaning. Christianity is that's the, the central definition of Christianity is Christ. The meaning that our, our existence is bound up in him. It's not about us finding meaning. It's about us coming to Christ and being given meaning because otherwise if we're doing it on our own, we're condemned. So this whole process is abhorrent to her. She doesn't want doctrine. She doesn't want theology. She doesn't want anything that tells her how to worship. And she arrogantly presumes that she can choose the path by which she sh she can choose God. And that's sufficient. That's what's scary. Because in her well, mind, I, I need to come to God my way. I'm just shocked she even mentioned nature walks. I thought most teens today wanted nothing but video games and bright lights and blaring music. Well, and I, think, I find that just that just struck me as a bit odd. You know, I know it has nothing to do with doctrine or church, but you know, it just kind of goes in. You know, with the meditation and the discussions. Um, first, I'd love to know what her discussion topics would be preferred. You know, from her viewpoint, what it would be that she would like to see or hear discussed. But, you know, the nature walk, all of that to me sounds more like the whole new age mysticism type stuff that was going around, you know, what was it, 20, 30 years ago. Well, but, it was Solomon who said there's nothing new under the sun. So I don't think you're wrong in that. I think the reason we're seeing this from people like Ms. Dotskowska is it wasn't long ago that the folks who started the church growth movement declared it to be a failure. But, you know. Uh, evangelicalism being what it is doesn't want to let go because it doesn't know what else to do other than go back to the word and it doesn't want to do that. So, but what we're seeing is that there are, I think one of the reasons we're seeing so much bizarre behavior in the millennial mo uh, generation is they are searching for something that has meaning. The problem is what they've been taught is that there's no exclusive truth. And so for people like her, I, I need to find truth, but I need to do it my way. And that's the problem. They, they, they don't understand it's God who has decided how we come to him, not them. And so she's been taught all her teenage life, find your own path, most likely, as many uh, have been taught. And then she comes to the church and the church says, here's the path you walk. And she goes, no, 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 no. I need my path, not yours. And so I, there, I started going through scripture and I wanted to to point out something to the people like Miss Dotskosa about what God says about how he's to worship, to be worshipped. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 11. God, speaking to the Israelites, says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make no, uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but show loving, uh, stead, show, excuse me, but showing steadfast love to, to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who 
takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the se- but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." If you are paying attention, that's the first four of the Ten Commandments. Why am I bringing up the Ten Commandments? We we aren't you know uh, the Jews were not bound to the law of uh, of uh, of the Jews. You know that that's been fulfilled in Christ, etc. Right? Okay. Here's the thing. God in those first four commandments reveals to His people. He is an exclusivist God. You don't come to Him the way the rest of the world comes to its gods. He is set down. I'm the one you worship. You don't worship anything else. You don't make an idol of anything that you think might connect yourself to to me. You don't use my name in a low and foul and loathsome way or without any due care. In fact, I have a day set aside that I want you to be focused on the one who has done all this for you. All right? You know, this God was commanding the Jews not to worship like the Gentiles. He, guess what? He just told them, I have an exclusive path that you are to worship me on. You don't just worship any imagined God. You worship me. You don't worship a carved idol that you think represents me. My name is holy. You don't use it flippantly. Okay, so Rich, this right here, the whole issue of the Ten Commandments, while we are not ancient Israel, and we don't look to the Ten Commandments as they did in the sense of it was all tied to the, Jew, uh, the, um, the law, the Levitical law. The, the, the Ten Commandments are still representative of God's holy uh, moral perf- uh, perfection. And it is his moral law by which we're judged. So God... When we look at this, he's saying, just me. You come to me the way I tell you to come to me. And for us as Christians, we've come to realize that is fulfilled in Christ. So we come to him through Christ. We don't get to do worship just any way we want. Does that make sense? Is is that, you know, are we looking at this and understanding it rightly? Would you think that makes a very good case for the fact what she says is wrong? You can't come to God that way, the way you want to? Well, absolutely, and that's the problem in the world today, that everyone thinks that they can worship Jesus Christ in the way that they want to do, way that they want to worship. They want to make a Christ that's comfortable with their sin. They want to make a Christ that's comfortable with the things that they like to do. They don't want to, you know, bow down to Christ as Lord and Savior. They, they basically they're wanting Christ to bow down to them and make them the God of their life and tell them you can do this, 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 and this, and I'm perfectly okay with it. And that's the, you know, the culture's influence and even bad denominational influence over the years. You know, everybody claims, well, not everybody, but within American evangelicalism, you have hordes of people claiming to follow Christ but they're following a Christ they created in their own mind. They're not following the Christ of the Bible. 
And while we're not bound by the Mosaic or Levitical laws, we are to still hold to God's moral law, which is meant to define sin and bring us to the cross when we realize that we have broken God's moral laws and just, you know, breaking one one time, that's it. You're condemned forever. People don't want to hear that. They want to hear that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. They can worship God in any way, form, or fashion that they want. They can rewrite the Bible. They can redefine what God calls sin, and God's still going to be okay with it. And, you know, we've got decades upon decades of things that have occurred that has brought us to this point. And now, you know, this young lady's writing this article, which sums up, you know, so much of what we've seen, read, and heard for so many decades. And like you were saying about Solomon, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's the same old heresies and the same old way of thinking, thinking that just keeps rolling back and back around. But my thing is, if anyone has even halfway seriously read through the New Testament, the first thing they ought to realize is Paul spent most of his time and most of his epistles explaining, defending Christ, and advocating against works righteousness. And that all goes back to people want to be able to say, I did this, this, and this, and I've earned my way to heaven. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. And it just goes into the fact that people, by you know, evidence like this young lady in this article and so many other examples out there, is it, basically ignorance of the Bible because they never pick it up and read it for themselves, regardless of whether they're in a false denomination or not. You know, if you're if you're a member of a false denomination, and yes, Catholicism is a mm -hmm. false denomination because they believe in works righteousness, and that is completely opposite of everything that is in the New Testament. But for some reason, people just seem to gravitate towards works righteousness, wanting to be able to say, well, I did this, this, and this. And, you know, this is just another example of that mindset that still constantly comes in and, and rolls over and over and over is that it's all centered on the person, not on the person of Christ. They want to be able to say, I did this. They think that church is supposed to be there to cater to their needs. And it goes back to that same old saying, you know, talking about Jesus Christ is a genie in a bottle. They want to be able to rub it and have their wishes granted and go about the merry little way. Yeah, amen. And this is, you know, there's a couple more passages I want to take us through because this issue of coming and worshiping God in our own way. I mean, with all due respect, and, and trying not to insult this young lady, but she's basically pointing a gun at the church and saying, do it our way or we leave. This is this is change under a threat of a gun. This is what she's doing. And, and this is why when I read this article, I, I could have easily dismissed it as another millennial teen who doesn't understand a thing. But again, she's citing statistics as part of this article about how many teens have left the church. We and we all have heard about how the, you know the, the in the current generations more and more of them are becoming less religious, and that's what has moved so much of evangelicalism to change and do the whole seeker-friendly model, which is absolute you know garbage. I'm sorry if you if you don't think it is, 
uh, if you actually think this is how we're supposed to pursue Christ, I'm going to tell you, you need to reread the New Testament, as Rich said, because you got to remember, the only one who's actually doing the seeking is God. We've talked about this before. You go back to Romans 3. There's none who seek after God, the actual God of Scripture. And this is what Ms. Dotskowska is is showing. She, she wants a God that is okay with how she decides to worship. Well, let's go to Leviticus 10, 1 through 3. And I think some of you already know where I'm going. Uh, quote uh, from the from this passage is, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Rich, you know, somebody might look at this and go, okay, well, that's that's kind of different. They were they were trying to get glory for themselves, but let's stop and think about what this is go, what's going on here. The previous chapters are talking about, you know, God talking about how the sacrifices were to be done. He talks about the ordination of the the priests. He talks about how you were to consecrate the uh, the tent of meeting. All of this is going on, you know, and they and in the previous chapter, go to verse twenty two, chapter nine. Then Aaron lifted up his hand toward the hands toward the people and blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came and fire came out from uh, excuse me came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So yes, there is an argument that when Nadab and Abihu put uh, you know the the coals in the censer and uh, put fire in it and and they and they went to go uh, do unauthorized fire, there's an argument there that yes, they are seeking glory. They see this amazing thing going on and they want to they want to interject their uh, themselves into it and, and get some of that. But what are they doing? They are not approaching God in the manner he has prescribed. They were not authorized to come before God as they did, and uh, they were not to, uh, given, they were not prescribed to bring their incense and fire before the Lord in this fashion. They wanted to do what they thought would be the way to go forward. God had just spent, you know, nine chapters talking about the things that he wanted done. And then these two men deciding, nope, we don't need to do it that way, went before, you know, took unauthorized fire before the Lord, and what does he do? Strikes them dead. And Moses tells Aaron why. God, is, God says, I will be sanctified among those people. I will be glorified. This is, you know, worship <clears throat> isn't about us approaching God the way we want to. <clears throat> Pardon me. Worship is about glorifying God. And if we try to think we can approach God in a callous and aloof manner, we are way off base. God is the only thing in this universe worthy of our worship. He's holy. He's righteous. To do, worship God, uh, worship anything other than God is blasphemous. And so because of that, he gets to decide how we are to approach him. He decides what's true worship and what's, what's not wor true worship. Not, uh, not you, Rich, not me, and certainly not Ms. Dotskovska and the millennial teens who think, I don't like this stuffy church stuff. I want to I wanna do... A pagan practice of uh, of meditation. I want to do these nature walks. I want to I want to go to the way I think I draw close to God. And God says no. 
You don't get to make that decision. God is perfectly within his right to decide what is true and false worship. And he is also within his right to reject any false worship. Anything he has said that we don't come to him as, such as a pagan system of meditation. And she's not talking about like what the scriptures say, meditate on the word of God, where we think uh, you know, long and deeply and, and research the scriptures and understand it. She's talking about sitting with your legs crossed, doing breathing techniques and emptying your mind. That's, she's talking about pagan worship. God can say, you don't get to do that because he's the one worthy of worship. If we do it her way, we're saying we're the ones that get to decide what worship is and God just has to take what I give him. And that's why Nadab and Abihu were struck dead. They approached the Lord the way they wanted to. So yes, we can argue that the motivation was uh, potentially to gain uh, glory for themselves, but it still falls back on the fact that Nadab and Abihu did not approach God the way he prescribed. And for us to think that we can just approach God the whatever, whatever way we want, that's foolishness. Now, lest you think, okay, well, you've been talking about all this stuff in the Old Testament, but we're, 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 under, we're under the law of grace now, right? Fair enough. John 14, 5 through 7. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. Or excuse me, you would know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Ms. Dutskovska makes a point of saying we don't want indoctrination or an intermediary. That's an interesting thought, isn't it, Rich? We don't want somebody in our way to come to God, that we can come to God on our own terms. That's rather interesting that she posts that, don't you think? Well, it's interesting, but um, we may be, on this one particular point, we may be misreading what she meant by it. She may mean that um, we don't need a priest between us and Christ, um, but we don't know exactly what she meant by that. You know, we can look at Hebrews, and it talks about Christ is our intermediary. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, my tongue is all tied up. I've caught your, <laughs> your foot and mouth disease. Sorry. <laughs> but Christ is our intermediary to God. But what she meant by that, we really can't completely discern based on that article. You know, mm -hmm. if she meant that we don't need a priest to, you know, appeal to Christ on our behalf, I, I'd have to agree with her in that aspect. Um, but, you know, just based on the face of the article, can't, I can't say for certain I know what she meant by it. But, you know, I have a feeling based on everything else that was stated in that article, she probably did mean it the way that it sounds. And, you know, it just, I don't know, That's that article is really disturbing mm -hmm. if it does reflect the general mindset of an entire generation, which really is the, you know, American evangelicalism's fault because they've allowed all this to go on and, and get put out there. You know, it's today's world is really sad because you have so many churches, so many denominations to claim to be following Jesus Christ. And you have so many people claiming to be Christian. But that's the key word is claiming. Mm -hmm. They don't read the Bible. They have no idea what, you know, the book of John is about. They don't have any idea what the book of Romans is about or Hebrews. They may get fed 
a scripture verse or two here and there, depending on what type of quote unquote church they're attending. But, you know, when she talks about her and her generation leaving the church, well, she's, she was never part of it to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. And it goes back to that nasty term that no one likes to hear is false convert. Yeah. Well, in so many of these cases, they weren't, they aren't, they're not even false converts. They're goats in a barn listening to the farmer talk about the pitchfork. And that's basically what it comes down to. They sat under motivational speakers. They've sat under, you know, feel good gurus that, you know, tell them what they want to hear or, you know, depending on what denomination this young lady has been attending just being taught flat out heresy to begin with. And, you know, it's just goes to show that the Bible is right. And it talks about in our day and age about the world, the, 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 I forget the exact phrase, but basically the, you know, the, the antichrist coming. And this is the age of the antichrist. When you have so many churches, people, denominations, you know, so so many even proclaimed pastors teaching a false Jesus. What else could it be but an age of an, of the Antichrist? You've got people that think that they can basically be you know in adult movies and still claim to be a Christian. And it, yes, it is that bad and down to that mm -hmm. you know level in this day and age. I mean, you have proclaimed churches that are in bars, adult you know type settings and and you know the one i read about not long ago i forget if it was in texas or tennessee it's a one of the cowboy churches where you drink beer and watch sports on tv and you get sermons in between the you know instead of commercials you get little mini sermons and yes i forget the name of it i'll have to look it back up and share but this is something that they actually are doing to try to attract more people into the church and God doesn't need that. He doesn't want it. He doesn't demand it. Ultimately it all comes back just like what you were talking about in the old Testament is a lack of respect and lack of understanding of the authority of God. And that is ultimately at the heart of the problem. And if you want to call it pride and that's the first thing that there ever was, was pride of Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be God. Yeah. And it's still going on today. It's a lack of respect for the authority of God. And that starts at the very basic level. You know, these teens come up in a generation where they were taught, where they are being taught, you know, disrespect law enforcement, disrespect the government, you know, disrespect for teachers and disrespect for parents. And even that comes back to the fact that, you know, the family unit is completely shattered in this country to where, what is it, last time I saw it was like 50% of the, I forget at what age and under, born today are born out of wedlock and mm -hmm. single parent homes. And, you know, it just all combines and goes back to, it leads to and is a source of the lack of respect for authority. And if you have no respect for those that God puts in authority over you, 
you're not going to have respect for the authority of God. And to me, it's just that simple. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. And to, you know, to address what you were talking about with regard to her reference to an intermediary, here's why I'm going to make the argument that I think, even if she says it unknowingly, she's actually taking a, a, a blow at what Christianity is. The entirety of her article is about coming to God on her own terms. She doesn't want any kind of indoctrination. She talks about later in the article, uh, we don't. We want to come to a, a place where we... Well, let me see if I can find the, the quote because I want to say this uh, the way she refers to it. Um, she wants... Uh, yeah, she says that that this means if that if teen-centered programs are extended beyond, say, Bible camp and are intentionally depicted as non-denominational, more teens would treat church as a safe space for worship rather than a convert-seeking institution. So she doesn't even want the church to work, you know, to preach in such a way that you're seeking to convert someone away from, you know, a broken sinner into a saved Christian. She just says, I just want it to be a space where I can come and worship as I choose. So I, I you know, even if you if we're if you're what you're saying is right, Rich, that she's not necessarily targeting Jesus because of the comment about intermediary. She's saying more the priesthood. And if she's talking Catholic Church, then they the priest isn't I think the phrase is Alta Christus, an, a, 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 another Christ. Um, and so is God's intermediary on earth. Even if that's what she has in mind, she's still targeting the, the, the point of Christianity, which is Jesus Christ himself, because she wants to be able to say, I worship God as I choose, and you just give me the space to do it in. So she doesn't want indoctrination. She doesn't want doctrine. She doesn't want theology, and she doesn't want an intermediary. She wants to approach God on her own terms, and that is extremely dangerous. Let me ask you a question. What on earth did she mean by a safe space in in reference to church? Well, that she, was kind of confusing. Well, she, the the paragraph itself says, however deep rooted and unalterable these attitudes toward the church seem, there's actually great for, potential for inclusive policies to work. She's looking for inclusivists. She remember she doesn't want the church to be exclusive. While only a slight minority of young adults claim they are searching for religion, a substantial 29% are already spiritual but seeking an outlet to deepen their beliefs. So when she's talking about a safe space, she's saying, hey, we all have some sort of spirituality. We want to go to a place where we don't feel like we're going to be uh, made to feel bad because we're doing it wrong. Right? That's the whole don't judge me. You can't judge my, uh, who I am. You can't judge how I do things mentality. So when she says a safe space, she's talking about don't try to convert me. Just give me a place to worship the way I want to worship. That's what she's talking about. She doesn't want the church to correct her. And remember, she's put everything under the guise of tradition. All script, you know, the, the scriptures are not a revelation from God, according to her. It's tradition. That's the problem. But, isn't that, isn't that the problem, though, with American evangelicalism as a whole is that it is a safe space that in today's world, you know, it's basically teaching, you know, not to say or do anything that's going to hurt someone's feelings. Don't mm -hmm. dare, you know, tell so tell don't dare tell someone that, you know, what that this is a sin or that's a sin or, 
you know, you're living with your boyfriend and that's a sin. How dare you? You can't do that. You don't want to hurt the feelings. Right. Isn't that the, well, and the, I, one of the biggest problems today is that that is actually what is being taught. Yes. Yes. That's, this is, she is a product of this. This is where evangelicalism has really dropped the ball. G- folks, don't misunderstand me. God's church it will exist no matter what happens. Christ himself made it clear. The gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. It's just, it's not going to go away. But evangelicalism in America, under the guise of not wanting to be judgmental, has produced a young lady who says, I want a safe space to worship God my way. I mean, she t- she later in the article, she under the, the subtitle, God's house should be welcoming. This is where she wants the church to go. Christianity's rich history and established values are not an excuse for the churches to resist change. Okay? Rich history and established values. Again, she's jettisoned scripture. In fact, religions like Judaism and Buddhism, which go back even further in terms of ideals and philosophies, no, they're they're actually offshoots of the true worship of God, which are actually false religions. Um, She says they have successfully embraced inclusive programs to draw draw a larger audience. For for Judaism, this means organizations like Union for Reform Judaism learning to create more LGBTQ plus inclusive spaces by funding training for uh, training summits for lay leaders. For Buddhism, it is allowing college students to learn mindfulness through campus, on-campus meditation sessions and wellness retreats. Even particular Christian denominations she does not know what a Christian denomination is. Christian denominations are trying this approach like the famously progressive Unitarian Universalist. Mr. Datskowska, I'm gonna you're gonna hate me for saying this, and I say this for your own good. That's not a Christian church. That is a heresy center, okay? Um she she is talking about that she wants liberal progressivist policies imported into the church. She is basically saying it doesn't matter what Christianity has taught. You have to jettison it all if, if you want us to stay. And this is what I want to see happen. She says embarking into your into spirituality is a is very much a choose your own adventure, but interested youth cannot do it alone. It is not a choose your own adventure. Okay, let's go back to that issue of intermediary. She doesn't want an intermediary. She's just making this really clear right now. She is a 15-year-old high school junior in Northern Virginia. Okay? She she you know, she thinks that she's providing the greatest answer to the churches to keep teens. And what she is doing is destroying what Christianity actually is. And she says, we don't want indoctrination, we don't want an intermediary. Hold on. Stop. Full stop. What is Christianity? It is it is its focus is Christ crucified and risen from the grave. That is the entire center. If you don't have Christ crucified, that's what Paul said. I, I, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because Christ is our intermediary. We are in busted, broken sinners. We have rebelled against God. We are born in trespasses and sin. We're dead in trespasses and sin. God is a just judge. He will judge our sin. And if we think that in that busted, broken, vile uh, state, that rebel state, that we can approach God with our worship, we're not, we're, we're going to con- be just as condemned as Nadab and Abihu. Yet it's Christ in his mercy, Christ, the Son of God, 
who came and took on human flesh, who lived the life we could not live, lived perfectly, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. In any way was he impure. And then he stood before God and took on the wrath of God that every one of us deserves so that he could be the satisfaction for sin. He could satisfy God's righteous wrath. And then through repentance and faith, we receive his righteousness. We are made clean. We are made pure before God. And now we can come boldly before the throne of grace, but in his way, not on our own. Not on our own standards, not in our own capabilities, but only on Christ's righteous uh, mercy. That's how we get before God. And she says, no, 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 it's a choose your own adventure thing. Now, mind you, if you guys are hearing me get ex- you know, kind of ramped up, it, it's not because I have any anger or animosity towards Ms. Daskowska. I pray for Ms. Daskowska. I pray she repents of this viewpoint and repents and understands that she needs Christ. Religiosity will not save you on the day of judgment. Spirituality will not save you on the day of judgment. Nature walks uh, will not save you. Meditation will not save you. Inclusivity will not save you. Because you will be judged for your sin. I mean, she spends this whole time, Rich, talking about citing articles and statistics about how people, our churches are losing teenagers. And to create this kind of environment of fear. Oh no, what are we going to do? And then she says, and, and we can justify this because Christians are hypocrites. Okay, let's say that's true. Let's say Christians are hypocrites. How does that yet still absolve you from obeying what God has said? If I fail to represent Christ correctly to you, that's, that's not God's failure. That's mine. God's word is still perfect. It's still pure. It still points you to Christ. But by saying I'm a hypocrite, that doesn't change the fact that you still need to stand before God and be judged. So your sin will either be judged on you on judgment day or it's judged at the cross. And then she points to these false religious systems and says, oh, look, see, they're changing. So this is okay." And it's the whole concept of this entire article is it's this less than subtle hint. You either change or we're out. This is change under the threat of a gun. You will do it or we're out of here. And that's what this, this, the problem with this article is. God is not going to be mocked by Ms. Dotskovska or anyone else. Christianity is not about creating a safe space. Christianity is not about creating a place that feels hopeful and welcome. Christianity is not about uh, you know, making uh, the, you know, uh, people feel comfortable in their sins. Christianity is about people are dying and going to hell, and there's one means of salvation from that, and that's Jesus Christ. God is not going to be mocked. You want to tell him he needs to change his church to fit with the times? God is going to let you know he will not do that. He is the one who makes us alive. We are dead. He saves the lost. He saves the condemned. He's not up there wringing his hands, worrying if we're going to stay at church this week. the, The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Because it's his church. He saves. It's not, it's not about us. This is one of the problems with Rich. We've talked about this on the show. The whole man-centered theology. Just, just make a decision for Christ mentality. 
There are pastors who will read this. And if you are a pastor and you hear this, please, I am pleading with you, reject this. It is not you and your church programs and your safe space that you create that will save Ms. Dotskowska. What she needs is a supernatural intervention in her life through Jesus Christ. She needs to hear the gospel preached. And through that gospel, if it is God's will for her to be saved, she will be redeemed. And there's not a church program in the world that can change that. He is not up there worrying and wringing his hands going, Pastor, are you listening? to?" He's not doing this. Christianity is exclusive because Christ is exclusive. We are called to preach a message of repentance and faith in Christ. And we preach it to everyone because we don't know who God's saving. We want them all to come to Christ. That's our desire. But we know not everybody's going to make it. So we preach to everyone we can. Why? So that God will save who he will save. And we put our faith in his sovereign grace to do so and his mercy to do so. And if you're a teen and you're hearing this and you're mad at me because I should be listening to her, let me appeal to you right now. You follow her path and you think you're going to worship God on your terms? Listen to me for a second. You have nothing that you offer God in your current state because you are broken, you are sinful, you... you are a rebel against God. And you may not like me hearing that, but that is what his God, that is what his word tells you. You go back to those 10 commandments and talk about all the things that it says not to do. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you disobeyed your parents? Probably earlier today. When's the last time you told a lie? Hmm, could have been five minutes ago. When's the last time you coveted something in your heart? You strongly desired something that didn't belong to you. And said, I want that. You weren't satisfied with what God has given you. You had to have that. A thing or a person. Let me take it one step further. You, you want to talk to me about Jesus, right? You, well, it's all about loving Jesus. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you hated someone, that if you had unjust anger in your heart, and by the way, unjust by Christ's definition, look at who, how he got angry on behalf of his father when people blocked the way of salvation. Never for himself. Never because he was offended. But because God the Father was offended by those who blocked the way of salvation by adding and saying, do it this way or do it that way, but you don't have to obey God because we have all these great ways to get around it. They blocked the way of salvation. That's when he would get angry. So if you have unjust anger, anger on your own, own behalf, perhaps, he says that's equivalent to murder because you're murdering somebody in your heart. That's where it starts. Every murder starts in the heart. Here's one for you, especially in this day and age. Lust. When's the last time you looked somebody with lustful thoughts? Because with lust, he says you're committing adultery. He judges the thoughts and intents of your heart. You're not a sinner because you sin. You, you sin because you are a sinner. In your heart. Your heart is a, is, is a factory of iniquity. Every one of us is that way. And if you think you can take that sin-laden heart 
and come before God and say, I worship you this way, he's going to reject it. He's going to flat reject it. Because you have nothing to offer but sin. And he cannot, if he is a just God, cannot turn his eyes away from sin. He must judge it. And there is only two ways he gets judged. Either, as I said before, you're either judged on the day of judgment before him and you will be condemned because he is a just God. He will not let sin go unpunished. Or he will judge it at the cross where he, uh, Jesus Christ took on the wrath for sinners. And if that's where you put your faith, if you return from your sin, you put your faith in Jesus who redeems you because he took your sin and then he went to the grave and rose from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death, and you come through that exclusive path, he will redeem you. And guess what? Now your worship means something because you don't have the burden of sin anymore. You have Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Pastors, I'm going to preach to you, not preach to you, but I'm going to speak to you again. God doesn't need our numbers. God adds to the church as many as will be saved. Acts, right? 3,000 saved on one day. Was it because Peter's message was so awesome? No, it's because God redeemed them. They heard the gospel, they repented and were saved because God redeemed them. And he added as many as to the church would be saved. You preach him. You preach Christ crucified. You preach his word. And God will redeem those who will be saved. He doesn't need your program. He doesn't need you changing the church and making it a safe space. What he wants is for you to obey him and preach Christ crucified. And to those like Ms. Tatskoska, who would look at the church and say, change or we're out of here. Let me tell you this. Christ said that the gates of the hell, the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. The church is not the building on the street corner. The church is not the place that has the really big steeple and the really nice architecture. That's just a building. The church is the bride of Christ, those who have repented and put their faith in the Savior. And your threats will not prevail against his church. That is why this article is important. It is the heartbeat. It is the pulse of a generation. They say they're looking for some sort of spirituality. And I actually think that's true. The problem is they've been taught there's no truth. Pastors, churches, show them otherwise. There is an exclusive truth, and it is found only in Jesus Christ. And the only worship that God will receive is that which comes through redeemed sinners in Christ who have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and become new creations. Nothing else. Rich, any thoughts? Well, I'll just add this to anyone that took exception to what you just said. Um, open your Bible and read it. Jesus Christ himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's the problem. You don't want, not you personally, Chris, but 
to those out there. They don't want to keep his commandments, even though they claim to love him. But Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just to kind of add to that in closing, if you've listened to this, I would encourage you to open up your Bible and read and pray your way through Psalm 51 and ask yourself and be honest with yourself. Can you really read that Psalm and do those words speak from your heart and from your soul to God like he, like they did from David and study and meditate biblically meditate on that particular portion of scripture and read through it and pray through it and examine yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. You may think that you're saved, but the question is, and you may think you know Christ, but the real question is, are you known by Christ? And how are you known by Christ? Are you known by Christ as an adopted son or daughter? Or are you known by Christ as one of those that he will tell on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. And for our brothers and sisters and our normal listeners, I just would like to encourage you, like we try to encourage you with each show, whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of God and make it a point to share the gospel at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, appreciate your patience in going through this. And I know that I got a little bit passionate about this. And if anybody was, takes that to think that I have an issue with this young lady, I don't. I, I weep for stuff like this. I, I look at this and I think how, how misled, how tragic this is. Um, but her mindset is the mindset of a generation. And it's a mindset that came from somewhere. It didn't come out of a vacuum. Rich, you, point, you, you said this earlier. This is what the evangelical movement has created. So guess what, folks? If you look at someone like a Miss Statskovska and you go, oh, these millennials. Remember, these came from somewhere. They came from us. You know, the previous generations had to produce them and had to raise them up. This could, should cause us to weep, not only for them, but for us. I want to see her saved. I want her to look back on the things she wrote and go, how wicked. How, how arrogant, how prideful I was. Praise God that he's redeemed me from that. I, I pray that's the case. And we know it can happen. It happens every day. But my passion is for, we need to stop producing Miss Daskovskas. We need to take the church seriously. Because it is God's church. It's not ours. We are his, we are the bride of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. It is his church. It's not ours. So my passion is that in hearing this, people recognize there's something different about the Christian church. It is not a country club. It's not a safe space. It's not a come as you, you know, choose your own adventure theme park for religion. It is a one path system by which a person can be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. So, Thank you for being with us this week, and as, as we said before, uh, please be praying uh, for the Story family. They're going to be gotten their hands full with a whole new kitten caboodle with the with a new child in there. Pray for the grandparents. Uh, pray for Rich and, and Suzanne. 
uh, and uh, pray for the, their daughter and this new child and uh, be praying for Florida and uh, the East Coast of America uh, that God would spare his, well, honestly, it could be his righteous wrath. America has plenty to answer for, but uh, pray that he would be kind and merciful and, and spare people uh, the de uh, devastation that could be coming. Uh, pray that that path, it follows that one path. So thank you for being with us this week. We look forward to spending time with you next time. God bless. Good night. We'll see you then.